we're actually going to begin in Galatians 2.20, just to kind of set us up. We're working through a series called, called Torn Veil. We started a few weeks ago. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, in my body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus died on the cross, The veil, the the curtain, the barrier, if you will, that separated creature from creator, sinful, broken humanity from our God, our maker, our heavenly father, that veil was torn in two. And Jesus invites us to cross over, not just to sort of look through the veil and ponder in our little minds about what it might be like, to, uh, to experience the kind of new life that the scriptures talk about over and over and over, particularly in the New Testament. But Jesus actually invites us to cross through the veil, to cross over from death into new life, to follow him to the cross, to die to ourselves, to die to sin, to be crucified with him so that we might experience new life, um, resurrection life. And so we've been asking this question, what might it look like to apply the miracle of the cross, the torn veil, to everyday practical aspects of our lives? Um, Most of you, at least many of you in here, uh, took part in a a bit of a poll. We had a vote, a church vote. Uh, We introed this sermon series a few weeks ago just by looking at a general theology of the cross, and then I handed out a little ballot card to everyone with a list of about 20 sort of life categories, and we said, all right, church, where would you most like to see the cross applied to like normal areas of your life? Number one was uh, work, which we covered last week. Number two, I believe, was money. Number three, I think, was family and things to do with family and so on and so forth. And we listed the top 16, I believe. We did work last week. This week, we're going to apply the cross to stress. Anyone, generally speaking, stressed out about anything in your life at the moment? Yeah, everyone raises their hand because we're in church and you can't lie in church. <laughs> Stress is just like, it's just a human phenomenon. If, if you're not experiencing it, uh, you are in deep, deep denial, okay? Because it's just, it's just life. Um, the question really we want to uh, think about or address today isn't so much how do we avoid stress, um, but it's how do, we, how do we see God work in and through our stress? How do we deal with stress in a way that's actually applying this life, this new life that Jesus has secured for us through his death on the cross? So the cross and stress. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Are you guys with me? Don't need that. Yes. Surely you're with me. My wife is with me. That's good. All right. Stress and the cross. Here we go. Luke chapter 12, starting in verses, starting verse 13. Thank you. Someone in the crowd, they're all good. Someone in the crowd said to him, Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be in your guard against all covetousness. Your translation might say greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. And he told them a parable 
saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I know this is what keeps me awake at night. <sighs> I just have so much money. I don't, I don't know what to do with all of it. I can really, really relate. In verse 18, he says, And he said, uh, the rich man with the plentiful crops says to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pause there. What is the number one cause of stress in our country or in your life for that matter? What do you think? Money? Like because you have too much of it? You're like, what, what am I going to do with all my cash? We're probably the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Not enough. Uh, too much debt. What do you guys think? Raise of hands. Who would say number one cause of stress if a poll w was done across our nation is money? You would be absolutely right. In fact, uh, the American Psychological Association takes these very polls from time to time. Um, they released a poll and they published a, a survey, the results of the survey that they did in 2015. Um, determining what causes Americans to stress. Um, and isn't it ironic? Two brothers and an inheritance. 2,000 years and a whole continent away. Not a lot has changed. And don't you know, there's nothing like, I mean, there's money stress, but then there's money plus family stress. Okay, that's proper stress, and I can tell you some stories. But the American Psychological Association published a survey in 2015 concluding this. Next slide, please. There it is. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting. Even though aspects of the U.S. economy continue to improve, some Americans are squeezed by sharp increases in healthcare costs and the cost of living, Portland. This year's stress in America survey shows that stress about money and finances is prevalent nationwide. In fact, regardless of the economic climate, money has consistently topped Americans' list of stressors since the first stress in America survey in 2007. There was another survey that they just published uh, earlier this year. It was highlighting slightly different aspects of the survey, so I went with this one instead. But as you can see, top of the list, from all the way back to 2007, practically, is money. And as you would expect, almost following the exact same trajectory, just underneath money, is work. Work and money, go figure. And then a little bit down is family. Family responsibilities, family issues, family challenges. Within that, you could include things to do with divorce, having kids, uh, maybe a death of a loved one, etc. And then the fourth, right below that, has to do with health concerns, um, personal health concerns. So there you have it. Does anyone relate? Here's the truth. When it comes to money, we are all the rich, oblivious fools. We really are. Whether you have a whole lot of it, or you're like just way, way in debt. Typically when it comes to money, our default is, I, I just, I need more. If I had more, then surely I would stress a whole lot less. But we, we do know that that really is not how it works. We know this, right? 
More money does not equal less problems. It's weird, you, you would think. Now this is not to marginalize poverty or the uh, extreme stresses of poverty or uh, crushing debt, um, but when it comes to money, I think we all in our own individual ways are the rich oblivious fools. We want to stockpile money because we think that this might be the solution to my problems and the consequential stress that I experience in life. Let's see if we can't contemporize our story. Let me go to the chalkboard. What's really going on? Two brothers, an inheritance. One appealing to Jesus, asking him, rather demanding that he tell his brother to split the inheritance with him. What does Jesus say? How does he respond? I love it. It's like he, he doesn't even acknowledge the issue. He says, beware, you do realize that covetousness will kill you. Uh, it is the 10th commandment uh, after all. Don't covet. Jesus ignores the appeal. He doesn't even seem to acknowledge the request or the alleged problem. And instead, he goes straight for the core. Let's, let's break this down. Let me see if uh, this will help us. Here's our stress box. What is stress? Well, stress is a feeling, right? I mean, if we, if we can put it in any sort of box or, or categorize it in, in some kind of way, when we talk about stress, we're talking about... We're, feeling something, like maybe you want to throw up, like you're bleeding on the inside, like knots, cartwheels, something right about here, a really, really unpleasant feeling that can compel us to do all sorts of incredibly destructive and unhealthy things um, to ourselves or the people around us. But really, it's a feeling, it's a feeling that's triggered by an event, Now, in the case of our story, what's the event? It's a brother who feels like he deserves to receive his portion of the inheritance. That's the trigger. Of course, it's not just an event. It's, it's an event plus our perception of it. Because something that might stress you out may have very little effect on me. And in fact, you might be sitting here thinking like, honestly, like, I, I get that people stress about money, but it's really not my problem right now. I am not stressing over money. My parents have money. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy about money. Okay, fair enough. So I might look at that and feel stressed for you because you are utterly oblivious for real life to come. However you look at it, the trigger that causes us to feel stress is an event plus a perception. The reason why we feel stressful feelings when certain triggers are pulled in our lives is because something has happened down here at some other point in our life to cause that trigger to be so potent, to be so powerful. So we've got roots. There's something else deeper in our souls that causes us to feel this when this happens. Let's call this our treasure. Can you see that? There are things in our lives that are valuable to us. 
or rather, let me put it this way, there are things in our lives from which we draw value. Uh, things like maybe, maybe our childhood. Maybe it was uh, my parents' marriage. Um, I'm one of those anomalies in the world where I have parents who are still married. Um, I think currently the, the stats are about 50-50, so I reckon about half of us in the room um, have parents who've been divorced. The marriage of our parents is something that we draw value from. Our identity gets wrapped up in it. Um, it could be something to do with an achievement. Um, I don't know, maybe you, when you were younger, you were really, really good at sports, and you've got trophies to prove it. I do not. And my lack of trophies will prove that. I draw no value from my athletic accolades as a child. Uh, perhaps, perhaps it's just, perhaps you're one of those extra attractive people. And for as long as you remember, you, you, you've sort of derived a sense of security, a, a sense of significance from the fact that you're just, you're just beautiful and people tell you you're beautiful and it makes you feel really, really good. And there's nothing wrong with that or, or really with most of the things from which we draw our value, our treasure, until this happens. Trauma. When our treasure is traumatized, we now have traumatized roots so that when this happens, this kicks off. If the things from which we derive value, if the things from which we look to for security and significance, worth, identity, etc., if our treasure is traumatized, we now have roots in something that's been disrupted, damaged, shaken. And every time the trigger's pulled, that connects us back to that traumatized root or treasure. Stress is what happens. This is just, this is pop psychology, right? This is, this is, we can all look this up on the internet. This is how we work. This is how our soul experiences what we call stress. Now, that of course leads to Behavior. Things like, I don't know, what do we do? Um, we break stuff. What's that? We, yeah, we eat. Of course, now that's an interesting example of behavior. Because in a second, we're going to talk about uh, trigger management. And what we attempt to do to cope with these feelings, these incredibly negative feelings of stress, we try to manage our triggers. And oftentimes, our behaviors are the trigger management things themselves. We'll get to that. But yeah, uh, we, can, we can eat, we can drink. And I'm not talking about Gatorade. Um, we sedate, let's put it that way. And by break, what I mean is some of us, um, our way of dealing with stress is like putting your fist through the wall or hurting someone, physically, uh, verbally. I'll confess, sometimes when I'm really, really stressed, one of my greatest temptations and I, I, I'm not trying to be funny here. Like, I, it, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I want to yell at my kids. This, this is the behavior that I've become aware of. Like, I'm just stressed out of my mind, and the next kid who comes to me with a question, I'm going to bark at. And then I have to go back and, and I repent, which unfortunately seems to happen more often than not. 
We can break things with our fists, with our words. We can attempt to sedate ourselves, which is basically why we drink, why we eat, why we smoke pot, um, things like masturbating to porn. Like these are, these are ways to just sort of like sedate the emotions or uh, escape, if you prefer. What else? What? Work? Yeah. Again, a way to simply just like try to avoid what's happening down here. We could just focus on something up here. Control. And we could go on and on and on, and not to generalize, but I think this probably covers a pretty good, pretty good spectrum. Now, what we normally do is because we know that the sorts of behavior that comes out of this stress box really will just sort of wreck our lives and the people around us. Eventually, we'll lose our job if we're just operating out of a place of stress and anxiety. Eventually, we'll wreck our marriage. Eventually, we'll mess up our kids. Eventually, we'll destroy our body. If we can't get our behavior under control, eventually, we're going to die. We will kill ourselves. Stress kills. So what do we attempt to do? Sorry, that's a G. We manage. We need to manage our triggers in order to keep our stress, stress box from exploding. What was the uh, stress management technique that the brother who had the issue over the inheritance, what was his technique? Whining? Yeah, sure. I really relate to him. Basically, he waits till a massive crowd gathers, and in the mi middle of this, this very public place, he proceeds to throw his brother under the bus. This is called extreme passive-aggressive behavior. <laughs> Instead of just going to his brother, I don't, maybe he did, we don't know, he waits till a crowd gathers. He waits till the family sort of evening. He waits till... There's an extremely inappropriate public situation. And he says, teacher, can you tell my brother? And I can just imagine if I was the brother, I'd be like, dude, look, I told you I would split the inheritance with you. Like, why are you making a scene? Why are you, why are you making this all about you? I can so personally relate with this. For the sake of appropriateness, I won't share my own life story with you. But yeah. I have a couple of brothers, and um, for some reason, money seems to be a thing. It's probably the most stress that I have felt in the last two years, I would say. It has to do with money and one of my brothers. Enough to make me want to, like, physically be sick. And I've got a wife who's a full-time stay-at-home mom, three kids, a mortgage now, and growing a wonderful but relatively small church. Like I know a few things about stress, all right? I'll tell you something. There is no stress like money plus family stress. Oh, my goodness. My trigger management technique, always my go-to move, passive-aggressive behavior. Oh, my goodness. Like, you want to get sarcastic? We can go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I can run passive-aggressive circles around you all day long, and I will destroy every relationship in the room. That's a stress management technique. It's actually not a good one. If that's your go-to, I, I want to I tell you, Jesus has a better way. How are you guys doing? You're alive. Where are you in this? I hope something's kind of triggering in your mind. 
You have stress, that's a given. Um, what's it connected to? What was it that got traumatized that now made for a really sensitive root? One that if I come along and just do this, boink, stress levels shoot through the roof. It could be work-related, it could be money-related, it could be family-related, probably a combination of all three or something else. That stress leads to behavior, which isn't healthy, which will kill you. What are your stress management techniques? What do you do? And by the way, there's some really healthy ones out there as well. Let's go to the next slide. American Psychological Association in their survey found that the top stress management techniques among parents was uh, watch television or movies, Netflix, for more than two hours a day. That's the first one at 46%. That's parents with high money stress. Second one at 48%, surf the internet. Uh, the American Psychological Association in their most recent survey, talked about this particular stress management technique, and they talk about constant checkers. Those of us who are constantly checking our Instagram, constantly checking our email, constantly like connecting with people who we don't necessarily be, need to be connecting with constantly. So we surf the internet. 32%, uh, that's number three, nap or sleep. How about that one? That one seems like one of the more healthy options. Just sleep. Uh, drink, alcohol, and smoke. Over on this side, stress management techniques among millennials. So most of us in the room, same sort of uh, curve, but just higher frequency rates. So again, 58% watch television or movies more than two hours a day. That's a, that's a lot of Netflix. That's a whole lot of YouTube. Surf the internet, 67% say, this is how I deal with my stress. I just check Instagram habitually. I just go online. I do this. I think my wife can, can attest. I just sit in my recliner, and I just, just, I don't even know what I'm looking for. But for some reason, it's just, I just do it. I'm just surfing the net, just surfing away. I don't nap or sleep much. In fact, I do the exact opposite. I sleep deprived, which is a terrible stress management technique. Eat, drink alcohol, drink alcohol, smoke. What is your go-to stress management technique? Anyone want to confess publicly? Go for a run. Uh, breathing exercises, meditation, mindfulness. Exercise. These are actually like healthy management um, alternatives. Hmm? Seeing in your car, talk to yourself. That's a good one. You can get away with that one. Just, just stick something in your ear. And just, just walk along, just talk to yourself. It's all good. Or if you don't even want to put something in your ear, we're in Portland, it's fine. Just talk to yourself. It's one of the perks. Pray. Yeah. Pray. I like, I like that one. Now, we all know that meditation, that's like the big craze right now, right? Meditate, mindfulness. Um, and I, I think it's actually, I'm totally for it. Like, I think, yeah, meditation, I can, I can see scientifically, I can definitely see the benefits. I wouldn't argue with that. Um, I do think, though, that we need to be, like, real about, like, this is not some sort of, like, recent discovery, Okay, this isn't something like all of a sudden the Western world has discovered like meditation and mindfulness. Okay, this is, you, you can find meditation in the scriptures. Okay, this has been around like forever. Um, but all of these things are merely stress management techniques. We're simply trying to manage our triggers, which isn't a bad thing, but Jesus goes further. Let's go back to Luke. Here's what Jesus says. He's dealing with the brothers, stressing over money. 
calls him out. We could put covet up here as one of our behaviors. And this is what he says to him. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, those who are following him, who are looking to him, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, consider the birds. And he goes on to say, look at the birds. They neither reap or sow. They don't have barns or storehouses to store their stuff in. They don't have storage units to put all their extra furniture in. And yet God provides for them. And he goes on to say, why do you worry? Can you, can you reduce your stress by merely adding a single hour to your day? No, you can't. If you can't do as small a thing as that, why worry about everything else? He says, look at the grass, look at the lilies, look at the flowers, look at they grow. God provides for them. How much more valuable, valuable are you than the birds and the grass? Don't worry. Your father knows what you need. Seek his treasure and he'll add all these other things to you. Seek his kingdom, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And all of these other things that you're stressing about, he will provide for. He will take care of you. Verse 29. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations, the whole world, seek after these things. This is, this is human. And your Father, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Verse 32, fear not, little flock. He calls us a little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With, the treasure, with treasure in heaven, in the heavens, that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus challenges the economy of your soul. He says your problem isn't bad stress management techniques. Maybe that is part of your problem. Maybe you need to stop binge drinking and take a yoga class. Okay, that could be a good thing. But Jesus doesn't offer us new and improved stress management techniques. He challenges the very economy of your soul. And he says, your problem is your treasure. You're trying to draw something, some sort of peace, some sense of security or significance out of a treasure that's been traumatized. And I want to give you better treasure. I want to give you better treasure. He says, your problem isn't rubbish management techniques. Jesus offers you better treasure. He says, these are going to have to go. Jesus says, forget your management techniques. We don't forget them, but let's go beyond them. Let's not just try to manage triggers. Let's deal with the root. Why does someone covet? Why do brothers fight over who's going to pay the bill for dinner? Why do I binge drink over what, like what grade I'm going to get in physics? Is it really important? It's not that. It is important, but it's not important enough to like kill myself over. Why does someone stress to the point to where they would literally want to hit another human being? It's not because of the event or their perception. It's because something happened down here, deep, 
deep down in their soul. And there are, there are nerve endings that are so damaged that if you even get close to that little bit of my traumatized treasure, I will hit you in the face. Like that's, that's stress to the nth degree. And we see it. We see it all the time. We see it on our streets, in our city, in Portland, and in our homes, in my life. Jesus wants to give us better treasure. How? How? How do we do that? That's all very beautiful, wonderful, spiritual. How? How do we actually experience that? Number one, give up your old treasure. Sell your possessions. Give it up. Give up your old treasure. That's step number one. Um, We actually call that repentance. Letting go of your old best friend that you love, but that is slowly killing you day in and day out, saying no. I'm going to lay down this treasure. I'm going to sell everything I have so that I can go purchase that dirt field that I know has invaluable treasure buried in it. Give up your treasure. Now, disclaimer. When Jesus was approaching the cross, the night before, on the, the eve of his crucifixion, it says in Luke chapter 22 that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would often pray. He knew he was about to be crucified. He knew he was about to lay down his very life in the most unthinkable way. And so he goes to the garden to pray, and he brings his disciples with him. He says, pray with me. And it says that in that moment, he had to make a decision, either to pull out or to submit to his heavenly Father's will and go through with it all the way to the cross. And it says that he sweat blood. Apparently this is an actual um, physiological phenomenon. Stress levels that are so acute that the the human body actually begins to sweat blood. I couldn't explain the, the, the mechanics of it to you. This is stress. This is stress. Here's the point. If you aspire to let go of your old treasure and trust Jesus and embrace the life that he has purchased for you, you will sweat blood. There will be a Gethsemane on your way to the cross. You'll feel like your very identity is being uprooted. You will want to stop. You will want to stop. It's like um, someone who's ever been sort of stuck in an abusive relationship. We know that there's um, this strange thing that that people, even though a person is being abused, they'll stay in that relationship because the thought of removing them from that is too, too overwhelming. It's too painful. It's too tied up in their very identity. And the thought of letting go of that, they would rather live in that abusive, stressful situation than to go all the way to the cross where you feel like your very soul is just having the very life sucked out of it, which in a spiritual sense is in fact exactly what's happening. You're walking to the cross with Jesus. Your old self, your old identity, your old treasure, all of the things that you once derived value from are being laid down, are being put to death. You will sweat blood. You will want to pull the ripcord. You will want to stop that process. It might sound very noble, but there's absolutely nothing pleasurable about dying to self and following Jesus to the cross. Now, the scriptures also say that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. There was a treasure that Jesus said, no, 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 I will give up everything and submit to my Father's will because there's a treasure waiting. Let me confess something to you guys. This is, uh, okay, is going to get really, really uncomfortable. So last night, sitting in that little office back there, I was here until about 10.30, praying, thinking, and God 
started to speak to me about my treasure. And uh, I did something last night. I felt, it wasn't quite Gethsemane, don't get me wrong, it wasn't that hard, but it was, it was hard. It, like, it kind of had my, my stomach doing somersaults. You know what I did? I tithed. I know what you're, gonna, I know what you're thinking, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. I see where you're going with this. So what? Yes, I want you to tithe. There. I tithed. I gave actual treasure to this church that God has called me to be a part of. It took me about three hours. It took me about three hours to do it. I've gotten in the really bad habit of giving a portion of my income quarterly. It's terrible. Because <laughs> after three months, I'm like, oh, gosh. I, I should have just given when it was much smaller. And now it's built up over a whole quarter. We don't have a lot of money. We do not have a lot of money at all. Um, we just got our first mortgage. Like, I'm dealing with very, very real stress issues. And I felt like God was saying, like, son, where's your treasure? And for about three hours, I sort of, like, kind of did this, well, but going back and forth with God. And I just, God was so clearly, so patiently, so persistently, son, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? God, you know, I'm really stressed about money right now. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, to be fair, I'm, I'm properly freaking out about our future and money and children and college and all this stuff. And, and uh, son, where's your treasure? I went to my bank account, and I was like, I, I've got this thing. Shirley and I, we agreed on this when we first got married, that we wanted to be, um, to give 10% of our income Every, every month. And not because of like some weird law thing like Malachi, like here's the rules, like, like no, none of that. That's, that's silly. It was because we felt like, look, at God has been so faithful and so gracious and so generous to us. Let's, let's make it our habit, like as, a, um, as an expression of worship to give 10% of our income no matter what. And we've been doing that for almost 10 years now. And you would think after a while it would just be like, it's just easy. It's just what we do. It was so flipping hard last night. And I did it. And I pushed the button. I tabulated it all up. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, no, no, this is. And then I tried to pull the wisdom card. And I'm like, Father, this isn't wise. <laughs> I finally pushed the button. And I said, that's where my treasure is. Right there. That's where my treasure is. Guys, giving up your old treasure, oh, it's, it's hard. It is hard. Going all the way to the cross and saying, I'm going to die to that, which I find security in and trust Jesus, oh, it is so hard. You know what the, the, um, the outcome of the survey was? The ASA said, like, given all of the stats and, and, and the, the, the epidemic of stress in our nation, you know what the recommendation is? Get some friends. They called it a support network. They said, you need friends. You need people you can talk to and confess to and et cetera, et cetera. Guys, if you plan on going to Gethsemane, you better bring your mates with you. Amen. Bring your mates with you. You won't be able to make it all the way to the cross. In fact, after Gethsemane, it says that Jesus, as he was literally walking to the cross, it says that he couldn't do it. Jesus couldn't carry his cross to the hill where he was to be crucified. It says that the Romans had to pull someone out of the crowd, a guy named Simon, ironically. Yo, you, carry this man's cross. Jesus could not carry his cross alone. Jesus calls us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. You can't do it alone. He couldn't, nor can you. So if you're gonna go to Gethsemane, if you're gonna give up your old treasure, make sure you've got your mates with you. Because when you start stressing, when you start sweating blood, you're going to need some brothers and sisters, not with a bunch of answers, but just someone who can be there with you to pray. 
give up your treasure. Number two, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Give. Give to those who are in need. You know the best way to overcome stress in the moment? By far, best stress management technique. One that not only deals with the symptoms, but in fact also addresses the roots. Help someone else. Stop thinking about your drama, your legitimate drama, for a minute, and start concerning yourself with the people around you. It's magical. It's magical. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is called the way of the cross. It says in Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus, in talking about his work on the cross, he says, I didn't come to, ser- uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is called the way of the cross. And it's the way to life. It's the way to overcoming all of the triggers that plague us and stress us out. And then finally, how do we receive the better treasure? Learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. Learn to stop trying to fix all of your problems. Learn to stop frantically trying to manage all of the triggers popping off in your world and simply sit and listen at the foot of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. This is the Mary and Martha story. If you back up two chapters in Luke, we read of Mary and Martha, two sisters, ironically. Martha's running around tending to Jesus' needs, doing spiritual things, doing good works, as we say. And then her sister Mary is just simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, being a uh, disciple, as we say. And Martha goes to Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister to help me out with the work. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're stressed out. You're anxious and worried about so many things. Your sister Mary, she's chosen the better thing. I'm not going to take it from her. Everything we do as a church community, can I have the band come up, please? Yes, please. Thank you. That means we're wrapping up. Did I catch you guys off guard? Oh, sorry. Everything that we do as a church community, I hope this is true, what I'm about to say. It's not to create more sort of churchy activity so that we can all just stay super busy and, and ignore like what's really going on deep in our souls. Transformations, um, church on a Sunday, ecclesia, which is what we call our small groups. Um, the barbecue across the street next week. We pray and we think How can we create more space for us as a community to simply learn the art of sitting at the feet of Jesus, being still, listening to our King, allowing Him to fill our hearts with His love? That's where our roots need to go. That's where we gain security. That's where we experience significance when we learn how to simply be still and come to our King, Jesus, who in the middle of a raging storm, disciples freaking out, stands up, speaks to the waves and says, be still. And everything goes calm. The waves subside. And Jesus calls us, come, just be still. Just sit with me. Just rest. And let me be me. Can we stand together?
So guys, we, we looked at a lot. We looked at psychology. We looked at the word, most importantly. We spoke about some very, very practical things. And we ended with something that's slightly less tangible, but utterly profound. Coming to Jesus. Allowing him to be our better treasure. Doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen in one week. Probably not even in a whole year. Jesus takes us on this lifelong journey. We keep coming back to the cross. We keep sweating blood. We keep dying to self. We keep experiencing more and more of his life. Let me close with this, and then we will end. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to bear the stress of the world, to undergo pain and shame and even death itself so that we're not bound to simply try and suck some sense of security out of a treasure that eventually will decay and fail. But you've set us free. You've created a way that our, our souls might be repotted that our roots might go down deep into a well that, that knows no end. That we might drink of living water. That we might be filled with your very spirit. That we might be filled with the fullness of God. Thank you, Father. Help us. Guys, the band is going to lead us in a closing song of worship. This is, of course, a time to just pause for a moment, reflect, wipe the sweat. <laughs> Do business with uh, Jesus, as we say. This could be a time to make a, uh, a quality decision. You might say, you know what? I've got some old treasure that I need to lay down. God only knows what that might actually mean to you. But now might be a time to make a quality decision. Maybe even write it down. Maybe tell someone. And then get ready to, to act. Make sure you have your mates around you. And then come sit at the feet of Jesus.